Okay. Hi, this is Ellie Kushner from Dancewell Podcast, and I'm talking today with Dr. Elizabeth Morey about um, how to talk about weight in the dance world and how to not talk about weight in the dance world. <laughs> and um, this is our our bookend. Elizabeth, Dr. Morey started the Eating Disorder Awareness Week off, and we're ending it um, here with her again. Dr. Elizabeth Morey studied ballet while growing up in California, Connecticut, and Massachusetts. She began teaching and working as an administrator for the Boston Ballet in 1995 while she was pursuing her undergraduate education at Boston University. During this time, Elizabeth's interest in the psychological development and mental health of pre-professional dancers took root. She played a central role in the creation, implementation, and evaluation of the Wellness Initiative at Boston Ballet Center for Dance Education. After receiving her BS in psychology, she went on to receive a master's in counseling from Boston University, from Boston College, excuse me, and her doctorate in counseling psychology from the University of Texas at Austin. Dr. Moray's clinical work and research has focused upon women's health, and she has a specific interest in working with women um, who are at risk of developing eating disorders, including elite dancers. Dr. Moray currently serves as Chief of the Department of Behavioral Health at Harvard Vanguard Medical Associates, Chestnut Hill. Her other current roles include Chief of Behavioral Health Specialties, including eating disorders, for Harvard Vanguard. She also directs the Postdoctoral Fellowship in Behavioral Health, a collaboration with the Harvard School of Population Medicine. Dr. Moray is a passionate advocate for women's mental health, physical health, and reproductive health and is grateful to have the chance to integrate her earlier passion for dance into her clinical and consulting practices. Thank you so much, Elizabeth, for talking to us again. Absolutely. Glad to be back. So um, at the beginning of the week, you led us through sort of the general descriptions of eating disorders, um, how treatment works, and what to look for. And today we're going to talk about how dance culture contributes to these disordered habits. Um, so let's start generally. What should school studios and companies know about dancers and eating disorders? Well, I mean, I think one thing I touched on in our earlier conversation um, is the fact that dancers have a significantly increased risk of developing eating disorders. So, you know, anywhere from three to four times what would be typical in a non-dancer population, and that eating disorders have the highest mortality rate of any um, mental health diagnosis. So I think it's important that those who work with dancers really understand that when we're talking about preventing eating disorders, um, we are talking about you know helping to prevent um, very kind of life-threatening conditions that certainly impact um, dancers while they are training or having a performing career, but can quite honestly long outlive their professional career. And you can find um, people, women in particular, who've struggled with eating disorders while they were dancers, continuing to struggle long after um, they've stopped dancing. So this is certainly um, a concern in work we're doing with people um, while they're training or performing, but it also is something that has potential for significant impacts throughout the course of their lives. Yeah, I'm so glad to talk to you about this because um, 
I do still hear people wanting to talk to students um, about their weight. And, you know, very few of us have known people who have died of these diseases. Um, so I think it is lost on people, even though it, it does have this increased mortality rate. I think the gravity of the situation is outstandingly lost on so many people, <laughs> you yep. know? And yep. um, yeah, the longevity of these issues, like how I don't understand how people can feel comfortable potentially provoking a lifelong disorder that has such severe potential outcomes. Um, what wh I, I have some ideas of what people do and say. What, what, in your experience, do people in the dance world do and say and sort of indoctrinate into the culture that is, is problematic? Well, I, I mean, I think we all... Um, ballet, you know, was developed um, with a particular ideal um, from its very earliest days until now. Um, there's a an aesthetic ideal for dancers that is um, certainly represents, I think, probably what is attainable um, for maybe less than five percent of the population. So when I say that, what I mean is that, you know, less than 5% of uh, female population would have what the ballet world would consider a quote unquote ballet body. What that means for all the rest of us and for all those people who don't naturally um, fit that kind of mold in terms of body type um, is that from very early on in their training, they are given messages about what they need to do in order to make their body conform to a standard that uh, for many of them may not be realistic, may not be possible without doing things that cause physical damage to their bodies and certainly psychological damage um, as they try to really um, do the, the un undoable um, when it comes to changing their body into something that it just might not be possible for their body to attain. I, I remember that being part of my decision to leave ballet was an awareness that like, I think if I want to pursue this any further beyond, you know, this sort of apprenticing phase, I would have to develop an eating disorder. I, I remember <laughs> thinking like, I just, I don't think that my body, it could get maybe in, close range but it's not going to cross that line without yeah. engaging in unhealthy practices but you know now I work more in contemporary and, and modern dance and we still have these issues there as well you know I mean I sure. think ballet has such a specific aesthetic um so tied to thinness but it's um it abounds throughout um sort of at least western dance yeah yeah no, I, I think that, um, and that's, you know, that young dancers are not given that message. They're not given the message that, you know what, most people's bodies can't look like this. Yeah. Most people's bodies were not, you know, made to to fit this mold that you see on the stage when you see the, our professional company perform or that is on the cover of these magazines or in the advertisements for leotards, um, you know young dancers are not given that message. And so they falsely believe that if they work hard enough, 
-hmm. They do the right things. They eat the right food or in most cases just don't eat Um, that, you know, again, their efforts will be rewarded by their body kind of complying with with these expectations. And unfortunately, you know, as I think you've said for for many of us, that is just not a realistic expectation. But it's unfortunately not a message um, that is given to those dancers that, you know what, like there is a certain look that we that we might um, be kind of promoting here and you know whether or not you can fit that mold maybe entirely out of your control yeah um, and but on the flip side we we do um we do see that i read this in preparation for this week i was reading a, a lot of different articles and there was a article i really liked talking about Um, you know, when young children are told, oh, she just doesn't have the ballet body, so we cannot accept her into our program, our elite training program. Um, So I think sometimes that message is coming out, but that's a bit problematic as well. This particular article talks about how, you know, you're not a you're not a after school program, we recognize that elite dance school, but right, you know, First of all, you are taking state and federal dollars in a lot of cases if you're a nonprofit. Right. <laughs> That's a whole other issue. Um, but also, you know, in my experience, like most of these elite programs, they might have 20% of their student body go on into these elite companies. Right. And the other 80% or 75, you know, they might be going to medical school or they might be going to college and becoming modern dancers or they might, you know, do PR and work for a major ballet company or, you know, and so, you know, like how, how it is tricky to figure out how to talk about this in such a way that you tell a student, um, that they may not meet this ideal, but also you might have a wonderful relationship with dance throughout your entire life and be a valued member of our community in lots of different ways and therefore we want you to continue training so that you can have that experience of what it means to experience dance at this level yeah I guess it's not that hard I just said it that's how you say (laughs) yeah well and I mean this is something that quite honestly I've struggled with throughout my career as a psychologist because in my mind one of two things has to happen either the ballet world in terms of um you know the the kind the world as it as we see kind of in the professional realm needs to be willing to embrace a water a wider range of body types um and we don't i don't see a lot of evidence that that's happening Mm -hmm. so in a context in which we are going to continue to perpetuate this um you know this particular body type i actually think it's much more humane to students to tell them like you know what this is the look that we go for in this school, this company, whatever. And you know what? Your body doesn't have that look. Mm-hmm. And that's not your fault. You know, your your legs could be three inches longer, but they're not. You know, <laughs> we we look for this particular, you know, kind of kind of ideal. And I actually think it's more humane to if you're going to commit to maintaining very rigid narrow standard for dancers bodies then the message should be like you know if you have that body naturally 
then we are going to support and develop you. But we are not going to tell you that you should work hard, starve yourself, you know, um, absolutely kind of have to um, shape your life around achieving something that at the end of the day, like your body may just not be capable of achieving. So I, I have very, very mixed feelings about this because in my ideal world, we're actually able to embrace a wider range of body types at a professional level and that that trickles down then to schools and to training environments. But if that's not going to happen, I actually think that schools are better off being very clear about what their standards are and then finding very effective, appropriate, healthy ways to have honest conversations with students about what their bodies actually can and cannot do um, in relation to that that ideal. Yeah. Um, and, you know, put that qualifier in, would you, dance studios, that, you know, just because they don't have the body type for your studio, that doesn't, that's not, your studio is not the end-all, be-all of no. dance. <laughs> No, Um, we don't need these myopic visions of what success in dance is. So that's sort of to do with the um, screening, you know, the initial screening into the school. Once a dancer is in a program or in a school or working in a studio and, and their body changes, they go through a growth spurt or they have an emotional trauma that leads to an eating habit or Mm -hmm. whatever. Um, they develop an illness and they start gaining weight. Is there ever an appropriate way to talk about weight gain with a dancer? Um, well, let's, let's start by talking about this in the context of a student who's under the age of 18. Okay. Um, because it's, I have different answers depending on what age group I'm talking about. Um, you know, first of all, I think even the idea of talking about weight is often really misguided because weight refers to a number on the scale that actually tells us very little about how healthy, functional, well-trained and fit a dancer's body is. Mm-hmm. You have you can have two people who weigh the exact same amount and their bodies may look very different based on body composition and muscle mass um, and all of those kinds of factors. So, you know, I, I, first of all, really think that weight is the wrong, is the wrong target Mm -hmm. that we can talk about dancers and their level of fitness Mm -hmm. and, um, and fitness has a, you know, a number of different dimensions, including, you know, muscular strength and tone and um, cardiovascular fitness, and then also like percentage of body fat, Mm -hmm. right? Those are, those are all parts of what contribute to fitness. And I think it's a very different conversation if you're talking to a young dancer um, about her level of fitness, as opposed to her weight. Um, Now, in any context in which I'm having this conversation with someone under the age of 18, um, I recommend that that never happen um, without the presence of a parent. Um, That, you know, you are potentially presenting a young student with information that um, could have very damaging consequences, if not handled sensitively. And 
you know, we, we don't trust 12, 13, 14 year olds to do a whole lot of things. And when it comes to knowing what is right for their kind of medical and um, psychological well-being, I think we need to make sure that they are being supported by a, a parent or other um, kind of guardian, someone who can provide them guidance and support um, as they try to make decisions about these really, again, very um, important and uh, and life potentially life threatening kinds of issues. So, um, so my recommendation when it comes to talking to young people about weight is that. It isn't actually a conversation about weight. It's a conversation about fitness mm-hmm. and that fitness is approached um, from a variety of different vantage points, nutrition, um, you know, cardiovascular fitness, muscle strength, um, you know, and then other kind of more general wellness principles, like is the person getting enough sleep? Are they struggling with some kind of emotional um challenge? You know, are they experiencing symptoms of depression, which can be associated with weight change? Um, Or are they just going through puberty? And, you know, weight, weight gain is probably one of the most normal, uh, quote unquote, symptoms of puberty. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, you really can't talk about weight effectively without looking at a dancer holistically. And you can't look at a dancer's um, health, both mental and physical, um, in a holistic way that is responsible without including the adults in their lives who are involved in helping to care for them. Um, We still have to do people over 18, but I just want to interject, if I may, that um, when I... When I have experienced um, in my personal experience witnessed or as an adult witnessed teachers wanting to talk about weight, a couple things come to mind. One is um, their own sort of self-consciousness about body seems very involved. Like this Mm -hmm. student being overweight on stage reflects poorly on me, you know, both in many ways, both as a teacher and, and just sort of that whatever issues might be underlying for that teacher or whatever. So that's one thing. Um, The other thing is, you know, fitness more closely falls under the scope of dance training. So, you know, a lot of times if I see a student who seems overweight, their fitness is also usually Um, sub-sufficient. And, you know, I feel like, well, thinking about, are they getting enough cardio? Do we do enough jumping? Do we, you know, like, are they, can they cardiovascularly get through a piece? Well, if they can't, then that's really the scope of your dance training, you know, say like, I noticed that you are exhausted before this, you know, 12 minute dance is over. You really need need to work on your cardio. And if you say that, they might also change their body through that process. (laughs) You know, right. and right. Um, and so I, just, you know, I just feel like often we're there's so many things that do fall under the domain um, of of dance that we should address. Like weight should be kind of the last terrain, the last horizon. Well, again, I mean, I, I, 
I find myself struggling with even the idea that weight or, needs to be a target. Or body shape. Or body right? shape, I should say. Or body shape. You know, like yeah. that if it's if their body shape is an issue, like, well, are they completely fit? Do they have really good technique? Are they engaging in good training practices? You know, well, exactly. then maybe we want to think about, like, what other things are contributing? But until you can really check those boxes, I think it should be dealt with later in that evaluation yeah. process. I agree. And I think that, again, this is where this conversation around, like, okay, we know that there are certain things about your body shape that you can change. And there are a lot of things that you can't change. So, you know, to the extent that we are going to, you know, judge you, evaluate you or promote you based on factors that you can't change, that's on the responsibility of the um, of the teacher, of the studio, to really, you know, to carefully consider the implications of setting expectations that are just not realistic mm -hmm. for that mm -hmm. particular dancer. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the girl standing next to her at the bar, it may be absolutely realistic and may never pose any kind of challenge whatsoever. Exactly. Um, but when it comes to the parts of our, you know, our body shape, our fitness, our overall health, um, you know, those are the conversations that it makes sense for, for people to have. But unfortunately, dance teachers are really not equipped to have those conversations. They typically lack either the training or the professional expertise to to work with a dancer around changing her body um, and, and kind of adjusting lifestyle choices. And so, you know, when those conversations are taking place, again, around issues that are probably reasonable in terms of targeting as a um, focus of change, I would recommend that the, the teacher pull in other professionals, whether it's, you know, an athletic trainer, a mm -hmm. physical therapist, mm -hmm. a nutritionist, mm -hmm. um, a psychologist. But, you know, again, dance teachers have incredible expertise and training when it comes to dance technique. Yeah. And, but because you know about dance technique, that doesn't necessarily mean you know about macronutrients. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Or cardiovascular fitness. And, you know, just to qualify my comment earlier, you know, a lot of dancers we're seeing in the literature are kind of simultaneously overtrained and underfit, you know, yeah. so we're exhausted. We're on our feet all day. We're in an intense learning mode. Um, you know, young students are in school all day with large academic demands and then they go to dance and there's large ac academic or um, dance demands there. And, yeah. and yet actually a lot of our time, because we are in such a technique rich activity, we have to spend a lot of time moving slowly and precisely and working on technique. And all of these are things that, you know, are not actually contributing to strength gains. It's more motor learning and neuromuscular control and not necessarily real strength gains or cardiovascular, you know, fitness. So I think that's also something that is really coming up a lot in the dance science realm right now that is actually relevant to this conversation also that you know dance teachers need to be aware of yeah I, I agree I think that um, you can have beautifully trained dancers 
who are not actually at performing at their peak in terms of level of fitness. And, and that's what you see in their bodies. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not weakness. It's not, you know, poor eating habits. Right, right. It's exactly. not overweight. It may actually just be a function of the fact that ballet and so other kinds of dance training um, is fantastic for developing certain muscles and certain strengths and kind of these kind of short burst cardiovascular um, capacities, but, but potentially not as good um, in helping to develop other kinds of fitness that can be very impactful in terms of how one's body looks. So I think we should also just mention when we talk about exercise that, um, you know, with their perfectionistic, high-striving tendencies, some dancers will even take that advice too far, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And we spoke to somebody earlier who talked about her compulsive exercise habits. Um, Is there anything else you want to say about that from a clinician perspective? I think it's important to keep in mind that just like restrictive eating and, um, you know, other kinds of typical eating disordered behaviors, um, compulsive exercise can be as much um, a part of an eating disorder as these other kinds of behaviors. And so when we, you know, when we see a dancer who is not giving her body adequate time to rest and who may be really pushing her body past a limit that would be considered healthy in order to either compensate for the kinds of calories that they've eaten or, um, you know, with, with a kind of perfectionistic pursuit of an unhealthy or unrealistic level of fitness, um, then that, you know, that exercise regime can really actually become a part of an eating disorder rather than a healthy um, set of kind of activities that are helping them to become more fit. And whether it's, you know, over-exercising or even with eating disorders, I think it's also good to remind people that um, thinness isn't always the measure of dysfunction or disordered habits. You know, um, somebody who's overtraining might not look the way we stereotypically think of as fit. You know, they might, um, you know, their body's exhausted and fatigued and therefore not functioning. at its optimal uh, state. So, and that's, that's true with eating disorders, even as well, you know, that I think we need to remind people maybe that people cannot look terribly thin and still really be struggling with disordered eating. Right. I mean, it, it's similar to what we've talked about in terms of the number on the scale, um, not necessarily being an accurate reflection of someone's um, level of health or fitness. I think, you know, you can't judge fitness based purely on the appearances of that person's body. Um, And, you know, I think what we're really talking about here is a theme that's come up throughout our conversations. And that's really looking at the level of preoccupation and rigidity around any particular behavior, whether it's eating or whether it's exercising. And it's when we see people become obsessed with, um, with their exercise or their eating um, or have very rigid patterns that they will not allow themselves to deviate from and that ultimately interfere with their ability to live their lives in the way that they want to and to um, participate in all the things that are important to them. Those are signs that, 
you know, even the most what we would think of as typically very healthy activities like fitness and exercise have actually gone to a an unhealthy extreme. So then moving on to um, dancers over 18, so maybe in our college training or in our professional dance company, um, how do the how would it be appropriate to handle these conversations? I think the same information that we were just discussing applies, but um, the parent doesn't need to be present in that situation. Anything else to keep in mind? Well, I think that, um, you know, at, at that point, you really want to empower the individual. This is an opportunity to say, you know, as your teacher, as your director, um, I'm noticing that um, I'm wondering whether there's some room for improvement in mm-hmm. this particular area. Mm-hmm. I might be able to tell you some things, you know, to help you develop strength and technique. But what I'm wondering is if we might want to have you consult with another expert who can help to kind of add an additional dimension to what I'm already offering you or to what the faculty or your, um, the artistic staff is offering you to help kind of address any unique um, needs that you as an individual have mm-hmm. um, because you are an individual and you may really benefit from working with other people who can hone in on what is going to help your body perform at its peak. I Um, love that. Yeah. You know, so again, like it's, it's really taking a much more individualized, holistic strengths based approach um, in which, you know, people, people are not penalized or, um, or criticized for being weak, lazy, undisciplined. You know, we've all heard those terms apply Mm -hmm. to people whose bodies aren't conforming to the ideal. And this is actually saying all of, you know, dancers are by their very natures, disciplined, hardworking, and, um, you know, willing to do whatever it takes to, um, to, to perform at, at the highest level possible. But, you may, in order to do that, need to draw on these other resources that are available to you um, with experts or professionals who can help give you the information, the tools, or the guidelines that you'll need in order to get to that level of performance. That's great. I've I've taken, when um, asked, I've advised teachers to say, well, why don't you ask that student, like, what are your goals and what are your strengths towards moving towards that goal? And what do you think you need help with in order to get towards that goal? And that sort of leaves the door open for them to say, you know, I don't think I have the right body for this job. And then to say, well, you know, there's things about your body that can change, you know, and here's how we can talk about doing that and who let's find the right person and um, opening that up. And, and again, I think that in, bringing in other professionals, for instance, you know, I I think we're probably going to move on in this direction at some point, but if you have a dancer who is appearing underweight or um, as though they're suffering from, you know, excessive weight loss, um, a number on a scale is not going to give you a whole lot of information. Mm -hmm. And looking at that dancer's body may give you some indications, but, but you actually 
don't know um, to what extent that dancer is at risk until they have a, a really full um, and thorough physical evaluation with a medical professional. Mm-hmm. Um, and ideally, a medical professional who has expertise in working with eating disorders. Um, because there are a variety of different um, different diagnostic tests and, uh, you know, measures that can be used to determine, like, the impact that maintaining a certain weight is having on that individual's physical health. And um, so you really need to, um, to make sure that you're not approaching these issues and making evaluations on a superficial basis, but that instead you're really looking at, you know, the, the kind of broader physical implications um, and medical implications of maintaining um, a given weight for an individual. Okay. Yeah. I do want to move exactly onto that. Um, let's first say, so who, who should dance professionals have in their Rolodex? (laughs) You've just mentioned, um, you know, physical therapists, athletic trainers, or physical fitness conditioning coaches, um, psychologists and, um, medical professionals. So we're talking MDs, DOs, nurse practitioners, physicians, assistants, those categories of professionals. Um, who have experience working with, you know, hopefully dancers or eating disorders specifically. Um, Very few dance programs have the luxury of having a whole wellness staff. Some do, but um, most don't. So, you know, I'd say the second best choice if you can't have a full wellness staff is to have a really rich Rolodex of... I would agree. Uh, I would agree. Young people might not know what a Rolodex is, but um, social network. <laughs> you should have a really it's strong like the network. Your, the contacts in your iPhone. Exactly. You have those, have those on... Who know what they're talking about. Exactly. So do you think we left anyone off... Oh, nutritionists. Did I mention nutritionists? Um, did we leave anyone off the list before we move on to... Well, I would say when it comes to these issues around um, eating and training um, and kind of goal setting, I would say health and wellness coaches Mm -hmm. Um, for someone who isn't struggling with, you know, a a mental, mental um, health concern, but really just wants to focus on behavioral change. They're actually going to probably have much more effective work with a, with a health and wellness coach um, because they just want to figure out how to make healthy and appropriate changes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, they don't necessarily need a psychologist for that. Right. You know, most of us, if when it comes to making changes and trying to improve our behavioral patterns, can use a little additional support. <laughs> that, was my, that was my daughter arriving home, yeah. infuriated yeah. that she yeah. cannot come see me. Um, oh, but let's... <laughs> Let's move on to um, this happen. This happens. I've seen it happen many times um, when we're not talking about a dancer who's gained weight, but a dancer who is worrisomely thin and getting thinner. And, um, you know, I work a lot at college. And so we had the added complication of like not knowing any history on these people, as would be the case with, say, a professional um, company director. You know, if you run a local studio you may have known this student for 10 years and they you know their parents and you know and so you have a little more information but um 
you know, we don't know if they this is their body type and they've been this way since they were two or if this is a new development or um, and then, you know, sometimes we do see really rapid, worrisome weight loss. So how how should those issues be addressed? I know I struggle. I know my colleagues struggle. I've seen professional companies struggle with these issues. What do you recommend? I mean, I recommend having a very clear policy in place mm-hmm. around, you know, if a faculty member um, or other professional has a concern um, that they, you know, there's an appropriate way to bring that concern to the attention of whoever's in charge, you know, the, the administrative staff or whoever would be making decisions and, and kind of monitoring um, the program. And that the first step, once that kind of concern has been um, registered, would be to have that a request made that that dancer have a full physical um, workup done to to really rule out um, any imminent risk or threat to their health um, before they are allowed to continue in their um, dance training or rehearsal or performance activities. Wow. So you, you suggest that they're told that they have to um, withdraw from activity and, or, I mean, cause that's a big, like, it's also equally worrisome. I, I mean, I know so many people who are rail thin by nature and have struggled their whole life with people telling them what's wrong with you. Why are you so thin? You know, you need to, you know, well, I, but I think what, what you mentioned was that you're talking about noticing a change. Okay. Yep. So if you have a student or, you know, a college student who comes in at a, a you know, a, a weight that you have no reason to believe is anything other than stable and you don't notice any alarming behavioral patterns or, or anything that would cause any suspicion of some kind of eating disorder, then if, if you're not seeing any change, um, that probably wouldn't be a context in which you would necessarily need to express concern. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. in a case where you notice kind of a rapid decrease or a decrease in weight to a point that you just, you know, fear for the, the physiological um, health and well-being of that dancer, that would be a point at which, you know, I don't know that you would necessarily need to pull them out of their usual activities, but I have talked with schools and with programs where they'll say, you know, we would like you to go ahead and make an appointment for an evaluation with this, you know, with this doctor who we have a relationship with. You can continue to take class and to rehearse and to perform um, up until that evaluation, but, you know, we will need to you know, find out how they how they um, are feeling about your current um, physiological condition, and if they express any concerns or if any of your lab results come back as abnormal, then we'll need to collaboratively um, create a plan to help stabilize your physical health. Mm-hmm. Um, and that may or may not include um, include having to cut back on your dance activities. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, under the guise of like, this is a physically intensive activity and, you know, we need to make sure that you're fit to dance. Just the way you sign a waiver when you join a gym that says I am cleared for activity. (laughs) I mean, you have when you have a a nine year old playing Little League, they have to undergo a pretty rigorous physical examination before they'll be allowed to play. Wow. So, 
you know, this is this is not unprecedented. I think that because I think you mentioned really eloquently that we all bring to some extent some emotional baggage mm-hmm. um, with, you know, around weight and talking about weight. I think that it it feels much more kind of loaded, emotionally loaded um, for us as dancers than perhaps it does in other contexts when this is purely just a means of um, trying to proactively um, safeguard people's safety. Um, So again, if this person is under 18, this conversation should be had with a parent present. Yes. If they're over 18, not not the case. But do you think that um, there should be other people present? I know in some companies it's, you know, when you said whoever is in charge and making these decisions, that can sometimes be confusing because, you know, there might be a medical staff and that might include a physical therapist. You know, that might be that, that might be the most medically qualified person in the room. Um, So who, you know, is, you feel it's, you feel it is appropriate for, you know, a school director or a program director or company director to be broaching these conversations. Is that correct? Well, I, what I, I envision that director in the role of being the recipient of um, the opinion of a medical professional. Okay. So, for you know, for me as a, let's say I'm a psychologist, which I am, um, <laughs> and and I perform, you know, I conduct an evaluation with um, a, a ballet dancer to try and rule out whether or not I think there's an eating disorder, or a you know, depressive disorder, or something like that going on. I'm going to be able to say to that director, you know, I've met with, with your students. Um, I'm concerned. It sounds like she, you know, is showing symptoms of bulimia and, um, therefore I'm going to make these recommendations about her treatments. I'm going to recommend she meet with a psychologist and a nutritionist and, you know, that I reevaluate in three months and do another round of, of blood work. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I think that, um, that really you are, as in the role of director, you are taking the information that is provided to you by the experts who are actually equipped to make these kinds of judgments based on an evaluation and then communicating that to the dancer um, whom you have this responsibility for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, It sounds like I should probably go. Um, Yeah. (laughs) This has been... I mean, I think we've revealed that there's still a lot of gray area um, here. And I think you've given us, I mean, even the idea that there should be a protocol in place and that we need to think about these issues before they come up is important. Um, and, you know, I share your your mixed feelings about, as do I think most dance teachers everywhere, this, this complex, like, well, there is an aesthetic taste in dance and yet we don't want to leave people with um, potentially fatal mental illness it's it is really complicated I mean I think we've raised some questions we've answered some questions mm-hmm. um, is there anything is there anything you want to say in in closing I mean this is very helpful yeah I think I mean I think the point you raise around um, the importance of being proactive in how we think about 
our policies and our procedures when we encounter these issues is probably one of the most important takeaways in my mind because we know that it is not if you encounter these issues in your studio or in your company it's when Um, and any of us who have spent any time in the dance world have far too many stories of of watching people um, really have their lives either literally or figuratively taken away from them because um, people didn't know how to step in and help. And maybe they wanted to, and maybe they had the best of intentions, but they didn't have a plan and an understanding of what that would actually look like. And so I would say if I was talking to a company director or to a, a teacher or a studio director, I would encourage them to sit down with, um, with professionals who understand how, uh, how to recognize eating disorders, how to treat eating disorders, and what kind of language um, can be used in order to have conversations in which you aren't talking about weight you aren't focusing on numbers that may or may not actually have much meaning, um, but that you're focusing on the overall health and well-being of the dancer. And, um, and most importantly, connecting that dancer to professionals who can guide them um, through this really very kind of treacherous emotional and physical landmine. And I think it can be a huge relief for a dance teacher or a director to no longer have to be in that role, mm-hmm. to be able to say, my role is to provide you with feedback in the studio about, you know, all of these things related to your technical and artistic development. But when it comes to these other issues that um, have such a, you know, profound medical and psychological impact, I am going to have a plan in place for bringing in people who are going to be able to have the most effective and useful um, and most importantly, non-damaging conversations possible. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it, in the end, it comes down to one part, uh, compassion, good communication skills, empathy, and sensitivity, and then yeah. a really good plan in place. <laughs> Yep. And I would say that if, you know, if you're worried about having these kinds of conversations, you should be. Yeah. And you should listen to that voice that's saying, you know, I don't know if I'm really equipped to do right by this young person. Um, And so, you know, as an organization or as an individual, you know, we're going to commit to um, to making sure that we have these conversations in the right way. because they are so impactful. Um, Thank you again, Dr. Maury, Elizabeth. It's been wonderful talking to you as always. um, And hope to speak to you on more topics soon. Thank you. Thanks. On behalf of Marissa and myself, I, Ellie Kushner, want to say thank you to all of our listeners for joining us on this episode of Dancewell Podcast. Like what you hear? Go to iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud and search DanceWell Podcast to subscribe. You can also view all of our episodes and learn more about our podcast by visiting www.dancewellpodcast.com. 
We wouldn't be where we are without generous contributions from our listeners. Your contributions help pay for our SoundCloud membership, website fees, and upgrades, and our recording technology. If you would like to make a contribution to DanceWell, please follow the link in the description of this podcast to visit our GoFundMe page. We thank you in advance for your support, and lastly, if you have questions or want to get in touch, email us at dancewellpodcast at gmail.com. Bye!